Hey guys, thanks for joining us today. One of the things that energizes our teams the most is being able to hear stories of lives that are impacted by this ministry. We would love for you to share your story with us by emailing it to stories at newcommunity.co or maybe your next step to getting connected to what God is doing in this ministry is partnering with us financially. You can do that online at www.newcommunity.co or through the PushPay app and find the giving option that works best for you. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? It's good to see you here. And if you're our guest, maybe it's your first time, you're new to NCC or you're watching online for the first time, we want to welcome you. My name is Aaron and I am the lead pastor here at NCC and We're excited that you're joining with us. We're a church that's passionate about making people and places new, and our prayer is that you would see that as you continue to come, that you would experience that, how Christ is using us um, to see people's lives change and to see a change in our own community. And this is the last week of this series that we've been in called To To Whom It May Concern. And we've been looking at these books of the Bible that are actually letters that were written to the early church and to church leaders. And whenever they were written, they were meant to be read in settings just like this. And so the letter would arrive and the pastor, the leader would get up and he'd read either the whole letter or maybe a section of the letter. And then they would talk about what it means and what it was that God was speaking to them together as a church. And so that's what we've been doing is um, what these, uh, initially these letters were written for. And these letters just have practical truth in them. And so they talk about our relationship with God. They talk about um, what we should be like as the church together, kind of corporately. Um, They talk about our marriage relationships, our relationships with other people, how we love and treat one another. They talk about our personal finances. And there's these practical truths in each of these letters. And so we've been walking through these together. And we're going to finish up today by looking at another section of one of these letters and allowing God to speak to us to whom it may concern. And I want to start today just by bringing you um, back, going back a little bit in time to my high school years. Whenever I was 15 years old, I lived in Colorado Springs, um, Colorado, and I was working a job. I was, had my learner's permit. Okay, so at that time I was learning how to drive. I was looking forward to turning 16 and getting my license. And I had a dream car in mind. I want to show you a little picture of my dream car here. 1986 Chevy Celebrity. Maybe someone had that. Maybe you guys remember this. Okay. Now I know it's not like a Mustang. Okay. It's not a sports car. It's not a Dodge Charger. It's not some big kind of truck sitting out in the driveway, but it was my dream car because it was in my driveway and no one drove it. Okay. My mom had a separate car. My dad had a little Mitsubishi truck that he drove. And so I was really hoping to get this car whenever I turned 16. And probably a few months, maybe two or three months before I turned 16, um, something happened to the car and it was having some mechanical problems. And my parents said, we're just going to sell it. And I was like, no, don't sell it. So I went to my mom and dad and I said, hey, I've saved up some money. I'll pay to get it fixed. And if I pay to get it fixed, will you give it to me? And so they were like, yeah, that sounds good, Aaron. And so we did that. We paid to get it fixed. I took money out of my savings, took almost all that I had. I got it fixed. I was looking forward to the day that I was going to turn 16. And a week before I turned 16, you guys know where this story is going. My older brother, Michael, got in my 1986 Chevy Celebrity. It was winter in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and he took off faster than he should out of our driveway down the street, and our street went into a T, and there was an elementary school there, and as he went to take that turn, the car slid out of control, 
it broke and bent the front axle, the driver's side kind of front axle, so the tire looked kind of bent there. And there was some damage to that side of the car. We had to kind of um, scoot it back to the house. My parents got it towed. And when they came back, they said, Aaron, it's going to cost almost seven or $800 to repair this. And we don't have the money. And I looked at my brother, and I was not happy, you guys. And in that moment, I wasn't concerned if he got hurt in the vehicle accident, okay? He had destroyed my dream car and my dream of my future of driving, okay, this car and having my own freedom. I had paid for it, and I was so frustrated in that moment. And this week, I was hanging out with Michael. We were on vacation and spending some time with his family, and I was telling him this story. He doesn't remember it going like this, but I promise this is what happened, you guys. Um, And we were talking about it, and we were laughing about it at this point. And as I started to think about that, I remember being so frustrated in the moment and and thinking this car was everything to me. I mean, this car was what I was looking for, and I'd worked with my own money to try to repair and get it going. And now it doesn't really matter. I mean, if someone gave me a 1986 Chevy celebrity, that's not really my dream car. And as we look at this passage, Paul's reminding Timothy of something that I was remembering as I thought of this story. It's that what is in our life, so many times what we're chasing and what we're pursuing, what we think will bring us joy and happiness, it's not the material things in our life. It's not the things that we gain. It's not the size of our bank account or wealth or any of those things, but it's actually something else. And he's challenging Timothy to keep his focus and challenging the church to keep their focus in the right way. And so if you have your Bibles, turn this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to start reading at verse 6. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, that's okay. There's a Bible in the seat in front of you, maybe one or two seats over, but I want to encourage you, take that out and turn to page 577 and follow along with us as we look at what Paul is writing to this young man named Timothy. And in case you're unfamiliar with this book or who Paul or Timothy is, um, let me take a moment and let me just give you a little bit of background. Paul was this individual who was um, violently opposed to the church. And so he was persecuting Christians. He was having them killed, having them thrown in prison, was trying to destroy the church. And God spoke to him. We read about his story in the book of Acts. And he has this radical conversion. And Paul then spends the rest of his life going and helping to build the church. So he's moving from city to city, helping to spread the gospel, the love of Jesus, and then building the church. And along the way, this young man named Timothy starts to follow after Paul. And Paul begins to disciple him. Paul begins to mentor Timothy. And in one of the cities that they come to, the city of Ephesus, Paul looks at Timothy after he had been there a few years, and he says, Timothy, I want you to stay here and pastor the church. I'm going to continue to move on. And so Timothy, this young man, just this young guy, is left there to pastor the church to help bring instruction um, to the people of God. And Paul's writing this letter back to them. Now, you need to know this about Ephesus. Ephesus was a very wealthy and affluent town. There were different temples that were there. There were different gods that were worshipped. And so a lot of commerce and income was flowing in there. Probably Paul writing to the church, he would have been talking to business owners, to wealthy people in the congregation that were a part of that, that were helping the work of God there. And so Paul's writing this instruction that they keep this right perspective when it comes to material wealth. And this is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. He says, Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, 
into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And then if you'll go down to verse 17, 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus soaring up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is true life. So Paul's writing to the church, he's writing to Timothy, he's writing to people who are wealthy and who, people who are influent, people who have money, and then people who are struggling probably financially. And he's cautioning them with this, that they need to remember that life does not consist in what we have in the abundance of wealth, but that it's actually godliness with contentment that is great gain. And there's this idea that comes across as Paul is talking that sometimes less is more. Sometimes less is more. That it's not getting more and more stuff. It's not material possessions. It's not having all of these things that really add to our life or that bring happiness, but it's simply this godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment. It's not filling up your house, not filling up your life full of stuff, but godliness with contentment. Less is sometimes more. And this is what Paul is trying to convey to Timothy and to the church. And so he says this, it's not getting all of these things that's actually going to bring happiness. Sometimes we buy into that lie and we think that, but it's actually this lifestyle that reflects who God is. It's when our life begins to reflect him, even in the area of material possessions that actually brings joy into our life. And that's what true wealth is. That's what true riches are. It's godliness with contentment. That's what great gain is. And this is what Paul is trying to convey. And there's a reason he's telling them this. And he says this, it's because you didn't bring anything into this world. Okay. The outfit that you're wearing today, you didn't come into the world with that. The car that you drove here, the house, all of those things, everything that you think of as yours, this stuff is mine. You didn't bring that into the world. And Paul's reminding them, you're not going to take that with you. None of that gets to go with you. So that's not the things that, those aren't the things that really matter. Those aren't the things that are of utmost importance. It's actually godliness with contentment. It's this idea that we're satisfied, and that's what he says. Food and clothing. If we have food and clothing, our basic needs are taken care of. With these things, we will be content. Okay, it's when we realize, when we look around and we say, wait, God, you've provided food. Okay. So we're able to live. You've provided us clothing. We have shelter. God, we have our basic needs met. God, that's what we're looking for. And with those things, God, we're going to be content. We don't need all of this other stuff. We don't need all of these other riches so many times that we're searching after because Paul says people that are searching after riches, people that are just desiring wealth, that's the goal of their life is to get more and more stuff. They'll fall into temptation. Now, I want to clarify this here, and I try to say this every time I talk about money. It is not, money is not evil, okay? If God has blessed you with wealth, that's from the Lord, okay? That's from God. That's what God's word teaches us. And so you'll hear people say that, well, we're not meant to be wealthy. We're not meant to have riches. No, that's not what God's word is saying. He's saying the love of money is the root of all evil. 
So it's not when I have wealth, it's not when I have a large amount in my bank account, but it's when I've fallen in love with those things, when those things begin to consume my life, when I'm driven by them, when I'm motivated by them, when my life becomes all about getting more. Paul says, wait a minute, there's a caution flag here. You better be careful because if you have the love of money, you're falling into that, you're pursuing riches, there's temptation that's gonna come into your life that can lead to destruction. There can be some issues there in your life when you're just pursuing those things, when those things become your entire focus. And so he's cautioning the church against those. And he said, hey, it can even lead to falling away from the faith. That money is your priority, not your relationship with God, not godliness with contentment, but actually the pursuit of money. And so you probably have people that you invite to church and I talk to people all the time and they're just too busy with work, right? They're just trying to make a little bit more. And whenever I kind of get over this next obstacle, whenever I kind of break this financial barrier, then I'll have time in my life. And Paul's saying, no, you're just searching after riches. And it's actually probably going to damage your relationship with God. It can bring destruction to that part of your life, to that part of the relationship that you have with God. And so he's telling them sometimes less is more, church. See, it's godliness with contentment that is actually great gain. And the problem is we live in a world that doesn't believe that. We live in a world that always tells us you need more. And so every time you sit down in front of the television, you're told one thing, and that is you're lacking something. You need more. And if you had whatever the more is, if you had something more, then you would be satisfied and then you would be happy, right? That's what the commercial tells you. I mean, if you only owned this SUV, right, your kids would be amazing at soccer and they would get in the back. And they wouldn't fight. They would laugh at all your jokes, right? And you would look lovingly into your wife's eyes, right? Her beautiful eyes and everything would be peaceful. And this amazing music is playing. And there's no traffic in the commercials, you guys. I mean, the road is just clear. You're just zipping down that road, right? And that's contentment. That's happiness. And if I only had more, then I would be happy. And the world wants to lie to us. They're lying to us and telling, that's what you need. That's really what's lacking. And if you only had this, if you had the right clothes and you ate at the right restaurants and you had the right things, that's what's going to bring satisfaction. And Paul's reminding them, no, that's not actually what brings contentment. See, sometimes in our life, less is actually more. Just godliness, being content with what God has given us, that's what can bring joy. That's what brings satisfaction inside of our life. Because when we're constantly pursuing riches, we live outside of our means. We live outside of our means. I know we don't like to talk about this, but we live in a world that is consumed with debt, you guys. And because we have to have more and more things, because we have to keep up with our neighbors and we have to have newer cars, even though ours works fine, we have to have a bigger house. We have to have, always have to have more and more stuff. We live beyond our means and we accrue debt. In the word of God, even thousands of years before this letter was written, that before Paul wrote this to Timothy, there was a man named Solomon and he was writing about this. And he said, the borrower is always slave to the lender. And there's a danger when you allow debt to come upon your life, when there's all of these financial pressures, that doesn't bring joy. Okay, you may have a newer car, but you're so stressed because you can't make the payment. That doesn't bring contentment. And the commercial is not showing you that. They're not showing you that side of it. And so Paul is writing and he's reminding them, be content with what you have. 
Don't live outside of your means. Don't always be trying to get more and more stuff. And you put yourself in a dangerous place and there's destruction in your life whenever that happens. See, sometimes less is more. I was reminded of that this week. I was hanging out with my brother's family and I was with my nephew Malachi. We were at Six Flags and we're standing in the line and I can't even remember what we were talking about. And he looks at me and he says, Aaron, you know how you're always competing against my dad? And I'm like, yes, because I am better than him, okay? And so he's like, yeah, you always say like, you're better at basketball, you're faster, you're stronger, right? Like all of this, he's my older brother, so I'm very competitive. We're always competing against him. And he's like, you're always better, you're always bigger, you always have more. And he said, I thought about this. You have more when you step on the scale in the bathroom. Thank you, Malachi. Okay, that one cut deep right there, buddy. And he just started laughing. He's like, you definitely got my dad beat in that area. And I do, okay. Thank you for that reminder, Malachi. And I thought in that moment, yes, right now, less is definitely more, okay. I wish I had less. And that's what Paul is trying to remind them of. And sometimes our life becomes so cluttered with more that we forget what life is really about. And I heard a speaker talking about this and just thinking about how this plays out in our life. He said he was buying a house with his wife. And this house was built like in the 1930s or 1940s. He said, we're walking through the house. We're looking at all of the different rooms. It was the first house that they were going to buy, obviously an older home. And he said, I go and I open the closet door and it's just this tiny thing. He's like, it's so small. I'm thinking, how can my clothes fit in there? It looks like there's barely room for hangers, for stuff to hang up. There's like no room for anything. And so he said, I turned to the real estate agent and I asked her, I said, hey, why are the closets so small? She said, well, it was built in the 30s or the 40s and they're just, they didn't need as much stuff. They didn't have as much stuff. And when you think about that, he said, I started to think about that. And I thought, yeah, back in that time, like maybe you had an outfit you were wearing You had an extra outfit, right, like your uniform for work or something, like this extra set of clothes, but you'd wear that. And then you had your Sunday best, right? Like you had a suit, you had something maybe you'd dress up to go to church or to special events, but that's really all that you had. You didn't need all of this closet space, right? And you had one pair of shoes. Why? Because you can't wear multiple pairs of shoes at once. So that's all you needed. So you just kind of, you had less. And so they didn't need to build bigger closets. And then I think you fast forward a few decades, and you walk into my home. And I'm so thankful for the home that God has blessed us with. It is, it's a blessing. We have a larger family, but we have this massive master bedroom, right? And then a private bathroom. And then you walk through that. And I'm telling you guys, there is another room on the other side of that bathroom. It's a walk-in closet. It's not a tiny door that you open. You can walk around in that closet. We joked, we have so many kids, we thought about putting one of them back there, like an extra bedroom, right? So they don't all have to share a room. So so it's just so big. And I think, man, there's so much closet space, right? And so we have different racks. It's not just like one rack of clothing. Maybe some of you guys are like this, like I have a separate rack for my t-shirts and then for my long sleeve shirts. And then those are separate from my short sleeve shirts because they obviously can't go together. And then a separate one for my pants that hang up. And then I have all of these shelves for all of my different kinds of shoes, shoes that I'll wear to work out or just to go casual or to wear on, like they're all separated together. And then short stacked in there. I have so much I can walk around and somehow I have managed to fill up this closet, you guys even though I can't wear them all at the same time. And I wake up on Sunday, like maybe some of you guys do. I go into that closet where I can walk around. I look at all of those clothes and I say, I have nothing to wear, you guys. 
I have nothing to wear. Like, what am I possibly going to wear? I've worn that before. And it's not like I don't have stuff. I mean, this isn't even touching the amount of clothes that I have. But I look at that. I have nothing to wear because there's so many decisions. I mean, when this person in the 30s said, I have nothing to wear, they literally had nothing to wear, okay? I mean, there's almost nothing there. But we have so much stuff. And that would be crazy, but it doesn't stop there. See, some of you have devoted a room in your house known as the garage for your stuff. Your car has not seen the inside of your garage in years because it is piled up with your stuff, right? And let me tell you, I just need to remind some of you guys, the garage is for your car. So when it's raining, you don't have to get wet. When it's cold outside, your car is warm, but it hasn't been on the inside of your garage in years because there's boxes and boxes of stuff there. You have things that you haven't opened since you moved in that house, things that were there since when you got married, right, that someone gave you that you thought eventually will use, but you don't. Like, it's just piled full of stuff. And I laugh because every time my neighbor across the street opens her garage door, I think it's all just going to come tumbling out. Like down her drive. I mean, it's right to the edge. I think you possibly cannot fit anything else in there. And I've talked with her and she's like, yeah, eventually we're going to go through it all. But her car doesn't have a place to go. It's in the driveway where it shouldn't be. It should be in the garage because there's so much stuff. And most of us are like that, but it doesn't stop there. See, some of us have paid for a separate place for our stuff to go known as a storage shed, Right? And some of us want our stuff to be comfortable, so it's climate-controlled storage spaces, right? Like, it's got to be AC, so our stuff is comfortable. And are you guys getting We have so much stuff. And then we're looking, we're trying to add more stuff. We're trying to get more things. Why? Because what we have, we somehow think isn't enough. And if I just said it's something else, then I would be happy and satisfied. And Paul's writing, no, actually, less is more. That it's godliness with contentment that is great gain. And it's not constantly trying to add something else, get something newer. You guys, I don't need a brand new car just because mine is a few years old, right? I mean, cars so much now, we've got to have the new features. And I'm thinking my car isn't meant to entertain me. That's why I have a TV, right? It's just supposed to get me from one place to the other. And if my car does that, that's fine. I don't need all the newest features, but we're constantly trying to get more because we think it'll make us happy. And Paul's writing the church, he's writing, Timothy, don't go chasing after those things. Don't go pursuing that. That's not what life is about. See, it's godliness with contentment. It's being satisfied with what God has blessed you with. It's looking around and realizing, God, what you've given me, this is enough, Lord. I don't always need more. Another person wrote in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30, he said it like this, give me neither poverty nor riches but feed me with my proper share. Lord, don't make me poor. I'll be tempted to steal something. God, don't make me rich. I'll forget who's providing for me. God, give me exactly what it is that I need. Lord, I'll be happy with that. And that's the attitude that we should have. That's the mindset that we should have. And so I wanna challenge you with these things, with being content, with realizing that less is more, that you would do these three things. Sometimes we hear these as kids, we forget about them as adults, but I wanna challenge you to do them this week to have this perspective. The first thing is this, start thinking about what you have, stop thinking about what you lack. Start thinking, focusing in on what you have. I can guarantee almost all of us in this room, we woke up this morning, we, we're on a bed, probably the majority of us, right? We're in a house or an apartment. We have shelter over our head. We have a car that drove us here, 
right? That got us to this place. It may not be the best, but it got us here. But so many times we're focused in on what we're missing. I'm missing out on something. I need something more. And what would happen if we change that perspective, right? We used to say, count your blessings. That was an old time saying. But, but looking at what it is that we have, what God has blessed us with, and we stop focus in on, focusing in on what we're lacking, and we just start to thank God. God, you've given me so much. I truly am blessed, Lord. I'm content with what I have. That's the second thing, declaring just, God, I'm going to be content, we have these in our household. We have four what we call ESCA declarations. These are things that we say. We try to say them every morning when school's going on. As we drive to school in the morning, we're reciting them. We're repeating them to each other. Our kids know these. And the last one is simply this. I am blessed by God. I am content. What I have is enough. Church, we need to remember that as adults sometimes. I am blessed by God. I am content. What I have is enough. And I want my kids to remember this because they're going to go into school and eventually someone's going to have nicer shoes, right? They're going to have a newer trapper keeper, a newer lunchbox, a better backpack, right? They're going to have something else. And the temptation, just like for us, is to look at that and become jealous, become greedy, to covet what someone else has. And I want my kids as they go into school to remember, I'm blessed by God. I'm blessed by God. What? I have is enough. I'm content with what God has given me. And so you recite that over and over. God, I want to be content. God, I want to be content with what you've given me. It starts to get on the inside and that declaration becomes a belief. God, I realize that godliness with contentment is great gain. And the third thing that I want you to do this week is I want you to give something away. See, many times we have this mindset, oh, I'll be generous, God, whenever I make this much money, God, whenever I get this. But all of us can be generous in realizing that, that, that less is more starts by having a generous heart. And I know for some of you, walking into your garage, going through all the pile of boxes and picking up that painting that has never found a place to hang in your house, it's going to be difficult, right? Because your Aunt Betty gave that to you when you got married, and you just know someday you're going to find the right spot for it, but you're not. And so if it's difficult, if there's sentimental value there, and I realize there may be, I want you to do this. I want you to talk to the painting, okay? Thank it for it serving its purpose, and then give it away. So you're going to walk over there. You're going to pick up the painting, right? You're going to look at it. Thank you, painting. You let me know how much Aunt Betty loved me when I got married, right? She bought this for me just to let me know what she thought of me, how amazing I am. Thank you for serving your purpose, but now I'm going to give you away. Okay, some of you, you need to walk to the back of the closet, right? You need to pick out that shirt that you have not worn in years. Thank you, shirt, for making me look cool five years ago, 50 pounds ago. You served your purpose, right? Like you were great 50 pounds and you served your purpose. You kept me covered up. You made me look amazing. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. But now you are of no use to me because I've gained some weight. And so I'm going to give you away, okay? You're going to serve your purpose with someone else. See, we need to do that. We need to practice generosity. When we do that, church, it reminds us that less is more. That it's actually godliness with contentment that is great gain. I don't need more and more stuff. I don't need to accumulate all of these things to be happy. What God has blessed me with, it's enough, and however much that is, however little that is, I'm satisfied with what God has given me right now. And I want to live in that attitude, in that thought process. And so I want to challenge you, give something away this week. 
do that. Just practice that heart of generosity to reflect who God is. I want to close with what Paul closes here with. And he says this in in verse 17 right here. If you still have your Bibles open, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. Who richly provides us everything to enjoy. And then he says, as we're generous, as we're rich in good deeds, we store up for ourselves treasures, a good foundation for the future so that we may take hold of what is true life. And that last thought that I want to leave you with is what God has given you, his provision, it's for your enjoyment, church. You don't have to feel guilty about the things that you have. It's for your enjoyment. That's why God has given them. But let me say this, it is not a status symbol. Doesn't matter how new your car is. It doesn't talk about your worth or your identity or who you are. See, we've bought into that lie in the United States that the bigger my house, the the nicer my car, the newer my car, I can afford this, that I'm a more important person, and that's not it. It's just there for my enjoyment. It's God's provision. That's why he's given it to me. It's it's there to help me get to work and to get to places where I have fun, to, to all of that. It's for my enjoyment. It's not a status symbol. That's why God has provided for you so that you would enjoy those things. And not that they would become a burden like I always have to get more and I have to work harder and I have to do more and I have to have more things so that people will think I'm a better person or I'm more important. No, that's not why they've been given to you. Paul reminds us, they're simply there for your enjoyment. Be content with what God has given you. Be content with what you have. Don't go chasing after riches. There's destruction there. When you're always wanting more, when your life is consumed with those kind of riches and I have to get more stuff, there's destruction and there's pain there. Be satisfied with what God has given you, with the blessings that God has placed in your life. And then he says this, because we're chasing after what is true life, not stuff that's gonna fade away, not stuff that's gonna vanish, not stuff that's gonna get wrecked and gonna get destroyed at some point but we're chasing after what is true life, that my heart would reflect who Christ is. And in my material possessions and the things that I have in my bank account and all of those things, I'm trying to be like Jesus. So I'm not holding on to any of those things more than I have to, but as God speaks, I'm being generous, I'm helping other people. I'm being rich in good works, you guys. That's what Paul's challenging the church to do. Be rich in good works, in giving and investing to others because that's a foundation for your future. That's a foundation. That's grabbing hold of what is true life, of what's really important. And the challenge for us is that we would be that kind of church, not being consumed with material things, not chasing after wealth just to get more riches, but saying, God, we want to be content with what you've given us. And God, with what we have, we want to be generous, God. We want to grab a hold of what is true life.